You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. What is going on, everybody? Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview, folks. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside James Montefusco. Uh, James, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How about yourself, Tom? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm really looking forward to tonight. Um, I'll leave this up here for a moment for those of you who want to check us out. Uh, we have a special guest coming on in just a few moments, Noah Deibler, co-host of the Sweet Tea Show on the Sports Box with Garth, who could not be with us tonight, but we're looking forward to talking to Noah in just a few moments, James. But um, before we get there, yeah, last show of the summer, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to go over some NHL news. We'll recap the Stanley Cup finals, yep. and we're going to talk about the fight that happened on Saturday night between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Uh, we will also talk about Noah's Atlanta Falcons, kind of preview the uh, their season just a little bit. And then we'll talk about our New York Mets as they get ready for the second half of the season. So, um, James, as a big hockey fan, I know this kind of caught me a little off guard today. Uh, Nashville Predators goalie Pekka Rene announces his retirement from the NHL at 38 years old. He played yes. his entire 15-year career with Nashville. James, a very impressive resume, and this guy was around for a while. So uh, happy retirement to Pecorino. Yeah, impressive resume. I believe it was 369 career wins, 60 shutouts, I believe. Um, listen, for 15 years in the NHL, especially we've seen as fans, and I'm sure the players, your body takes a Big beating. One of the major sports that your body takes is huge beating, beating. So lasting 50 years. I know some players play into their 40s, late 40s, um, but great career. I'm sure he has stuff planned for retirement um, that he's looking forward to doing. Yeah, he had, he had a lot of accolades to his resume. He won a Vezina Trophy. He won a King Clancy Memorial Trophy. 369 career wins in addition to 60 shutouts. So um, Pekka Rene, I've worked a few of his games in the past, so happy retirement to Pe- uh, Rene. And then another very interesting fact, and this was kind of very surprising because of one of our most previous fun facts we posted the week of 4th mm-hmm. of July. The Minnesota Wild buy out the contracts of both Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, who each signed 13-year $98 million deals on July 4th of 2012. So nine years later, they're gone. They will not be with the Wild for the last four years of their contract. We recently mentioned these two in our 4th of July fun fact. And, you know, hey, kind of helped us out with that, James, how both of these players brought relevancy to the Minnesota Wild. They would go on to reach the playoffs in eight of their next nine seasons, a franchise that was struggling, James. And now 
they're gone. So it'll be interesting to see where these two players end up as they're both 36 years of age. Yeah, it would be great to see where they end up. I'm sure they'll find some place in a leadership role for probably a young young team. Um, it's unfortunate to see that you probably won't see them play with each other ever again. You'll probably see them play against each other. Um, not many teams will pick up packages of players like these two. So we'll see what happens to them. I, I do think they'll go more. They're veterans. They've been in the league for quite some time now. They'll probably go to a young team that's looking for a veteran presence within the locker room and on the ice. So we'll have to see. But, yeah, that that's unfortunate. Our fun fact, um, unfortunately, now isn't so fun. Isn't valid. Zach Priest and I actually share the same birthday, both born July 28th. So that's that's coming up in two weeks. So Two weeks. Little little fun fact there. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where these players go next. I'd imagine they're both older players. They're each going to go to a contender. Yeah. On a cheaper on a cheaper deal, I think it more had to do with the current contract situation for these two players, not the players themselves. But at this time, we'd like to introduce our guest for the evening, co-host of the Sweet Tea Show of the Sports Box, Noah Dibler, who is with us. Noah, how's it going, my friend? Can't hear you. I think you're muted. I'm doing good. Sorry go. about that. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank no problem. you so much for uh, joining us. Really do appreciate it. And we're going to talk some Stanley Cup finals with you tonight. But um, before we get there, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for the Sports Box. So I started the Sports Box last September, I'd say. Um, I had been a guest on it before. Um, I started out as an admin for a sports group that I still actually work in, but that's how I met the Sports Box guys. Um, and like I said, I think last September I had been, you know, I'd been a guest on their shows quite a lot. I commented on a lot of their shows. I was just kind of around. And then one time, you know, Brian just messaged me and he said, hey, you know, I like you and Garth. Um, would you guys like a show on the Sports Box? And, you know, we had done some live stuff before in that group that I mentioned, Sport Life Uncensored. Um, and I was just like, you know, that's a great opportunity. I'd love to do that. And, you know, since then, we've just been keeping on doing it. Um, absolutely love doing it. Uh, it's just really fantastic, and, you know, we want to keep on growing that. But it's just awesome. Man. It's honestly a dream come true so far. That's awesome stuff, and I love the sports cool. box. I love those guys over there, yourself, Garth, Brian Attard, Mike Coletta. You guys do an awesome job. Daniel Bakley as well. Um, you guys have a good, solid crew over there. So make sure to go check out the sports box. And when can the people hear Sweet Tea? When is that on? Friday nights at 9 p.m. Awesome. Nice. So a nice way to wrap up your week. Uh, oh, it's perfect. Get a, get, a nice, get, get a nice cold one and enjoy your Friday night watching Noah and Garth go at it. Now, I know Garth isn't with us here tonight, but we had him on a couple of weeks ago to talk about his Tampa Bay Lightning. And obviously the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup Finals in five games, uh, four to one. They won game five, won nothing. Ross Colton scored the lone goal of the game in the second period. And Noah, this is the second straight series where the Lightning have closed it out with a one nothing win as they're now back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. And actually their third time in team history, they also won in uh, 2004. But did Garth tell you anything about his Game 5 experience down in Tampa? Because I believe he went to the game, right? He did. He did, when he did go to the Game 5, and I asked him on that you know, last Friday. And just like, you know, what an unbelievable experience. I mean, what can you say? You know, it's 
it's fantastic to go to any hockey game. I mean, I've been to a few hockey games myself. You know, nothing like a Stanley Cup Finals, but I've been to regular season games, uh, been to playoff games. But to go to a Stanley Cup Finals game and not only have that, but your team wins it on home ice, I mean, it, it, there was only so much you could say about it. It's just a fantastic experience. And, you know, I was really happy for him because, you know, he's a great guy. I really wanted them to win it for him because I mean, he's just a diehard fan. He really is. Every time, you know, pretty much every day when I check my messenger and stuff, I, I get a, get about five messages about the Tampa Bay Lightning. And um, <laughs> he's just an awesome guy and a great fan. And Andre Vasilevsky, man, I mean, five straight shutouts in elimination games or series clinching games. What a player. I mean, he just plays the best when the most is on the line. And he's only 27 still. So he's just what a player. Conn Smythe winner. I mean, just a fantastic player. And what a series. Um, you know, game five was really good. Some of these games, even though it was a 4-1 series, I thought it was actually a really good series to watch. And, um, you know, I did say Tampa in six. Um, they did give me that overtime game I predicted. And Carey Price did give me the kind of game I expected in game five. But, I mean, Vasilevsky was just unbeatable, and there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. You mentioned that, too, uh, in the comments section of one of our previous shows, how – uh, Montreal might steal a game in overtime and how Carey Price might have one of those filthy games that he's been having most of the playoffs, which helped Montreal get to this point, to where they are, uh, game five of the Stanley Cup final. But um, as far as Tampa Bay is concerned, obviously, you know, this team very similar to the one last year. What would you say is the biggest difference from last year's Tampa Bay championship team to this year's team? I'd say probably experience. You know, they traded for a lot of guys like Barker Goodrow and Blake Coleman that were kind of new on that team last year, Pat Maroon as well. Um, you get another year of experience for those guys in that system with John Cooper and, you know, the fantastic players they have on the top lines. You know, you don't even need to mention them. They're just phenomenal. Um, they kind of sorted out that depth. And I think that's a problem they used to have. They had, they've always had the superstar talent, you know, guys like Kucherov, Point, Stankos, they've been there for years. Um, what they struggled with, in my opinion, was that kind of physical edge, you know, the depth scoring, stuff like that. And then we saw in this series, they have a guy like Ross Colton who played on the fourth line most of the year, you know, five, six minute game. They can bump him up to the second line. Now his scoring is out and he can score, you know, a Stanley Cup finals winning goal. Game three as well, you know, that fourth line, I think Tyra Johnson scored two goals and Ross Colton, you know, he didn't look out of place at all. And what an advantage that is for your team. I mean, your depth players can come up. They can just carry the load with some more minutes when you need them to. I mean, fair play to Montreal, you know, great run to the Stanley Cup Finals, but, you know, where where does their best player go on the Tampa Bay Lightning? Second line, third line? It, it, they just have so many great players. They really do. They're a very loaded team. I know Brian Attard and I were exchanging messages during that Lightning Islanders series, how pretty much – I think Brian actually switched his profile picture to yes. a uh, yep. Lightning profile, as James is a huge Islanders fan, by the way. Um, a lot of our staff is from oh. the – yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't like that man. They 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 eliminated my Penguins again. I'm still really salty about that. But. <laughs> um, yeah, James is a huge Islanders fan, but James Andre Vasilevsky was outstanding this series. Fifth shutout of the playoffs, 22 saves in that game five, winning the Con Smythe as Noah mentioned. And I, I want to ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Noah, as the guest. Do you think he's the best goalie in hockey right now? I mean, who's better? I, I can't think of anyone that's better. You know, I, I heard a lot of talk about Carey Price coming in these finals, and, you know, I could see it, but, you know, 
between these series. I mean, Andre Vaskovsky just continued to play well, and Carey Price, you know, I don't blame it all on him. I think Montreal's defense was absolutely atrocious for some of these games. Um, you know, no disrespect to them, but, I mean, I saw so many odd man rushes, two-on-0s, two-on-1s, stuff like that, to where, you know, you, they score, and you know, Carey Price just has no chance. But, you know, he had a few games where it was like, he could have saved that. He could have saved that. Um, he's a fantastic goalie, but I mean, I think he's the best. Like I said, he plays the best when the most is on the line. Like, like I mentioned, those five straight shutouts and series clinching games. You have to remember as well, he's only 27 years old. He's already won two Stanley Cups. Now has that con smite to add to his resume. And I was talking to Garth about this last week. You know, he still has, you know, potentially 10 to 15 more years of really solid play to add to his resume. And mm-hmm. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, you know, we could potentially be looking at him down the line as one of the greatest goalies to honestly ever play. Um, you know, I don't think that's extreme to say at all, and I definitely say he's the best in the league right now. James, what do you think? Is he the best in the league? From the way he played in the playoffs, yeah. I don't really follow him much during the regular season unless the Islanders are facing him. But from what I've seen, what he's been able to do in the playoffs is just phenomenal. Pretty much shutting – I mean, yes, you have to look at the fence when you have to look at everybody. But he was making some great saves that if it's any other goalie, is hitting the back of the net. And at some point, keeping his team in the game, you know, where you could have a team could have been up three to two, four to two, and then all of a sudden, you know, a big breakaway from one team, and then he's making this incredible save. So by seeing some of that stuff, it's just goes to show that, yeah, he's a great goalie. He's a goalie that everybody will be watching next year, especially if you're winning this award. Absolutely, and I think it, it might have been game three. You know, Tampa was up 2 nothing in that game. Shea Weber, who we all know has a fantastic shot, gets a breakaway, yep. makes a massive glove save. And, you know, if you get back to 2-1, I think that was still in the first period. You know, they scored a goal right after that, I think. So, you know, momentum would have been completely on their side. We don't know how that game might have played out differently. And, you know, like I said, you know, he can make the big save. He's shown, you know, the big moments don't phase him. And one more thing I want to say about this. They used to have a goalie named Ben Bishop. Very good goalie, in my opinion. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And when they got rid of him, that was not a move that, you know, was without a lot of risk, you know, that could have been potentially, you know, dangerous uh, trading an established goalie like that who did take them to a Stanley Cup finals back in 2015. They replaced him with a relatively unproved young goalie in Vasilevsky, and he's shown them that that decision, you know, as good as Ben Bishop is, um, he's paid their faith and then some. Right. Now, Ben Bishop, as good as he was, I think Vasilevsky is clearly multiple steps above him. Yes, no Um, question. Another player, and this was an interesting storyline throughout the whole playoffs because Nikita Kucherov didn't play the entire regular season, and he led the league with 32 points in the playoffs. Obviously, Lightning are a big power play team. That's usually when the Lightning strike, uh, no pun intended. Um, (laughs) Over half of his points came on the power play. Um, Again, this is a guy who had hip surgery, missed the whole regular season, but he came back for the playoffs. Can you just talk about his trolling that eighteen million over the cap and his comments towards the Montreal fans in that post game interview? You know what? I absolutely love it, and I'm not going to feel one bit sorry for Montreal fans because let's face it, um, you know they have a lot of really rowdy fans up there. They talk a lot of trash as well. Um, I'm not going to feel sorry for him. You got 24 Stanley Cups, you'll be perfectly fine with a bit of trolling here and there. But yeah, Nikita Kucherov, man, what a player! 
the fact he got 32 points did not win the con Smythe that season he just postseason he just had I mean how many you know con Smythe winners you know had inferior numbers to that that's just fantastic and it's remarkable how they had three players that could have potentially won the con Smythe and the fact you know guys like Kucherov and points didn't win it ah man that team is just incredible but I have no yeah. problem with the troll and I actually love it yeah, James, he also mentioned something about how their final was the last series. So um, I, I found that quite interesting. That was their series against who they beat, Vegas. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vegas Golden right. Knights. Another, yeah. thing, another thing I'd throw in, though, you, you know, you could say he's being a douche and all that, but in the end, it, he's kind of right. They, they beat him in five games, so. Yeah. Another player is Braden Point, who – I found very interesting. Now he'll be a restricted free agent in 2023. So he has another year or two on his contract before um, the lightning have to make a decision on him, but led the NHL with 14 goals in the playoffs. How big of a contract could point be looking at down the road? Cause as of right now, I mean, he was clearly the best goal scorer in this entire playoffs. Noah, I think, I mean, Tampa Bay's offense is so diverse. Kalorn, Stamkos, Kucherov all had eight goals. But how big of a contract could Point be looking at when the time is up? This is just my opinion, and I know this might be controversial. A lot of people might disagree. But mm-hmm. when I look at you know players like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, they're making $10, $11 million, And I'm, don't get me wrong, fantastic players. I like them a lot. Um, but when I compare their playoff production to a guy like Braden Point, how could I argue against a guy like him not getting something similar, ten to eleven million dollars? I think he's easily worth it. And you know, I told Garth this several times. In my opinion, you know, Tampa Bay has a lot of great players, but on pure value, I, on guys I want to start a franchise with, I think Braden Point's the most valuable player because he's still real young. I believe he's twenty-four years old. Like we, I mentioned to him several times, the contract he's had the past few years, three years for I think six point seven five zero absolute steal for what he's worth and i think he's going to get a massive upgrade i think you're going to see a lot of players you know potentially getting shipped out or not re-signed because they got to lock that guy up you know seven eight years i would not you know argue against 10 11 man i think he's that great a player in case you don't know folks we love braided point on review and preview i mean he pretty much single-handedly goal-wise kept the islanders out of the stanley cup final so i'm absolutely thrilled about that james i mean he's what was it six uh-huh. straight games to the goal yeah, scored a goal every yeah. game in that series, I think, uh, except for Game Seven. That was Listen, respect Gore. him. That, yeah. that, that's uh, that's talent, man. Got to respect. Got to respect it. Like I, you know, I'm not thrilled about it, but you got to respect that talent, man. He every game he went out there and was like, he he had he he was feeling it. He was he was feeling that vibe and whatever he was on when he was on that ice. And man, hats off to him. So yeah, he he will be probably getting a nice decent contract now the question is is he going to be able to keep that up next season you know he had so. such a great offseason great postseason run is he able to keep that all keep that same type of scoring mentality up i think so and because like i said i think he's still a very young player um he's only 25 i just looked it up so not 24 but 25 um okay. when i look at his number this is a guy that has scored you know 92 points in a season before I think he has the, you know, that 40 to 45 goal potential. He has a lot of room to still grow. So I definitely think he could repeat it. I think he could even improve, honestly. But 
I do just want to throw in real quick, you guys mentioned that game seven between the Lightning and the Islanders. Me and Garth actually did a live watch along for that on Sweet Tea. Absolutely fantastic game to watch. It was kind of weird that, you know, the game-winning goal was a shorthanded breakaway goal by Yanni Gord. Absolutely fantastic. We also did game three of the Stanley Cup Finals, which was something like 6-3, 6-4. But mm-hmm. I, I think that game seven was even better, honestly. That was a blast. It was, and you would think a one nothing hockey game, probably not too exciting, right? But the game was exciting all throughout. I was very impressed yeah. with Tampa Bay's performance. Montreal never seemed to really track their footing in this series, despite taking a game. And I think a lot of that has to be credited towards Tampa Bay's head coach, John Cooper, who's been the head coach of the Lightning since 2013. Um Pretty sure I was like a senior in high school. So that was a very long time ago. That's how good he's been. They've made the playoffs every year except one since Cooper's taken over. What do you like most about his coaching philosophy? He's just really consistent. I think the thing with him is, you know, when they lost that series to Columbus the way they did, you you might have thought that, you know, he would blow the roster up, maybe trade guys out of there like Stamkos or Hedman that had been there for a long time. But he didn't. He trusted his players. He brought in some guys, you know, to help those players. Like I mentioned earlier, like guys like Barkley Goudreau, Blake Coleman, Pat Maroon. He brought in Ryan McDonough, who I'm sure, you know, as a Rangers fan, you're a big fan of as well. I mean, now I will say that contract towards the end of it, I think it's going to kind of hurt him a bit. But like I told Garth last last week, you know, if you win two Stanley Cups that because of that move, do you really care towards the end of it? I don't think so. Um, but, you know, you're right. I I think a lot of people forget how long he's been there, you know, just because of how successful they've been recently. When he took over that team, I believe it was the lockout shortened season. Um, and the season before that, they didn't, didn't even make the playoffs. They were below 500. So it's not like he inherited this team that was, you know, consistently making the playoffs, absolutely fantastic roster. He had to build, you know, that team up. And credit to him, they've consistently improved under his leadership. I think he's a fantastic coach. He trusts in his players. Um I think they just really love playing for him because from what I've seen him say, you know, sometimes in the media and stuff like that, uh, he really backs his players. He has that a bit of an edge to a coach, if you will, to where he's not afraid to say what's on his mind. Um, He has no censor pretty much. And I think the players just love playing for him. Yeah, James, I think he really is a, a great coach. He brings a lot of fire into his players, something you don't see from a lot of head. I know you guys are lucky. You have Barry Trotz, so you guys have another outstanding head coach that's able to make adjustments on the fly. I think that's the biggest difference, making adjustments on the fly rather than game by game, which is I felt kind of what Ducharme was doing for Montreal, and that's no knock on him. I mean, the guy's an interim head coach, but Cooper's been through heartbreak before. They lost the series two years ago where they got swept in the first round by John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets, which was absolutely pathetic. It was embarrassing. It was one of the yeah. most embarrassing series in playoff history, not just in NHL history. But yeah. the resiliency by Cooper to keep his players up on their feet, and now they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. I mean, that's tough to predict after getting swept 4-0 in round one. I mean, the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, I mean – that's why I think it's such a credit to what he's done. You know, he could have, you know, very easily justified, okay, I'm going to trade Stamkos out of here. He's never won anything here. You know, Hedman, you know, maybe I want to get him out of here as well. Kucherov, you know, I think he scored something like maybe two points in four games in that sweep. And, you know, the last two years, he's something like in a two-year span for postseason points, he's just behind Wayne Gretzky in some of the seasons he had. I mean, that's a great name to be near. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he showed faith in his players. 
And I think that's very key. And when you have a guy, you know, a guy like Nikita Kucherov, and I, I did want to bring this up um, because this is something I've really been considering myself. I think Connor McDavid, talent-wise, is the best player in the league. But in my opinion, when I'm looking at players who have that, you know, mix of not only can they perform regular season, but their top-line playoff performance, I think I can't think of anyone that I'd take over Nikita Kucherov right now. You know, you yeah. might be right. I mean, he does it all. He scores points. He gets assists. I mean, He's you got to total package. You got to think. You know, two years ago when that you know that sweep happened, he probably had that overrated label on him a bit because you know he absolutely dominated, destroyed that regular season, got shut down in the playoffs. Now he's doing it all the time, and that's what you want from a player. Um, now, once again, I, I still think McDavid's the best player in the league. Don't get me wrong, but what Kucherov has done, you know, the past two seasons, it's phenomenal. Yeah, he's been yeah. outstanding to watch. Um, James, is there anything you wanted to add on Nikita Kucherov? No, I mean I'm looking forward to what happens this offseason with him. Um, honestly, I'm I'm waiting for I'm looking forward to hockey because all these big names and whatnot, we got a real taste of normal seeing hockey again this past season. You know, just to even think, you know, to to have a full season, a regular full season, not a shortened season, and whatnot. Right. So this, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, 56 games, so. Yeah. It's it's going to be nice to have, you know, a normal 82-game season with the old divisions back. Yep. As great as these playoffs the past two years were in the terrible circumstances, the only thing I'd say is I just wish, you know, when you go to the great arena like the Bell Center with fans as wild as Montreal's, the fact you only had a few thousand fans in there for that Stanley Cup Finals, very disappointing in my eyes. When you compare it to Tampa Bay, and I know Garth, you know, would attest to that being there, that atmosphere just absolutely incredible. I'm really excited to start seeing that come back, coming back, and that, you know, in all the sports, not just hockey. Um, because yeah. as great of a job as these leagues have done, you know, and through this crisis and all that, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just going to be nice to have it all back to normal. And I, I think, you know, every sports fan would agree we saw how much we take that for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even I was at a Mets doubleheader on Saturday. I mean, and they're, they're playing the pirates, but um, it was just nice to see the stadium packed, you know, um, for a first place baseball team at the moment, um, which I know you're a Braves fan and, you know, we, we won't, we won't get oh, too, nope. we, won't, we won't get <laughs> we too won't dive into that. that. But, yep. um, sticking with the lightning here, I, I do, I do have two more questions on them. They have several unrestricted free agents, not too many. Majority of the roster is set to return. But, you know, guys like David Savard, who spent a lot of time on the first line, who they acquired midseason, I believe, Blake Coleman, Barkley, Goudreau, who should be the biggest priority to bring back? Because obviously Tampa Bay is looking for the three-peat, right? They're looking for that three-peat heading into the 2021-2022 season. So, who out of these three names do you think he has to be back for them to have a shot? Well, I asked Garth this, and, you know, he kind of went through these names, and I think he said that, you know, if he had to choose between these guys, he'd choose Barkley Goudreau. And I am a, am a big fan of Goudreau as well because I, what I saw him do on that third line, um, you know, he can hit, he can score a goal every now and then. I think he's a really solid player. I mean, Savard, you know, it'd be nice if they can get him back, but you can also say, you know, they still have guys like Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev. Eric Chernak as well, who I believe is an RFA. Um, he's younger. You know, you could even argue he's a little better than Savard. 
if they lose him, I mean, you know, it's going to suck, but they're going to have to lose somebody. So, you know, fair play. Blake Coleman. The thing about these guys, guys, um, Ross Colton's an RFA. You know, like I mentioned him earlier, he's shown he can have, you know, that bigger role if need be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they lose, you know, Coleman or Goudreau or maybe even both, um, you know, once again, I saw, you know, Colton go up that second line. They had a four, you know, Matthew Joseph on the fourth line that game three and that fourth line still scored two goals. They scored six goals in the game. So they're going to lose some people, obviously. But um, the key thing for them, like you, like we've mentioned a few times, is the RFAs. They need to focus on, you know, getting Braden Point re-signed when he's up. Um, one thing I will say about the cap, um, some of their contracts, I'm looking at Tyra Johnson, that fourth line, making $5 million. Yanni Gordy, don't get me wrong, he's a good player. He's making north of $5 million. Um, you know, they do well for their roles, but you could also argue for that money, you know, that's top six money. Could they try and maybe ship those guys out to save a bit? Um, obviously, they win the cap or the uh, playoffs with a lot of guys on IR. They were well over the cap. And, you know, now that that's squared, it, they've got no cap space left. So, obviously, someone's going to have to leave. Um, but from three those three names, if I had to choose one to keep, I would probably keep Goudreau. Mm-hmm. James, are you in agreement with that? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I like Savard a lot. I really do. I think he's a great defenseman, but you mentioned how deep they are defensively with guys like Hedman, Sergachev, Ryan McDonough, of course. So, yeah, it wouldn't be the end of the world if they lost him. He was a good depth piece, and Goudreau is probably the most important out of those three. It's definitely hard to argue that. Now, can the Lightning three-peat? You know, that's really the question. I, it, it's it's hard in hockey to win back-to-back as it is. I mean, that's kind of unheard of, right, uh, to back-to-back Stanley Cup champions nowadays. So looking at this, is there a shot for this team to three-peat? Because the Eastern Conference is very competitive. I, I believe they're going back to the regular um, alignment next year. The, the yes. Uh-huh. It's a really tough question. We've seen so many great teams over the years. You know, they've been able to repeat like my Pittsburgh Penguins did a few years ago. Um, but three-peating is really tough. Now, will they three-peat? I have absolutely no clue. Um, it's highly unlike. I mean, it's just so difficult to do. But can they repeat? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. even if they lose any of those players we just mentioned, they still have, you know, RFAs, like I mentioned, like Ross Colton. If they lose David Sabard, you know, maybe Cal Foote gets a run in as well. He's an RFA, really young player that they drafted a few years ago. But, I mean, let's be honest. They're the fa- they're the favorites until proven otherwise, and that's what I said this year as well, and they showed once again why they were the favorites. Now, I will say, with that team Colorado has building, they're going to have a lot of competition for a few years before, you know, they kind of start to fall off because of the cap. Um, but can they repeat? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question they could repeat. James, this must suck to hear as an Island, as an Islanders fan, but um, I don't think the Islanders pose much of a threat to Tampa Bay next year. I mean, they, they have a lot of guys to worry about. So um, do you think the Lightning have that possibility to three-peat? And, I mean, I'm trying to think of another team that could stand in the way of Tampa next year, and the first team that comes to mind is the Boston Bruins. Right. I mean, that's the one team. I mean, you like to think Pittsburgh, but we saw how I think Pittsburgh just had a freakishly bad matchup against the Islanders. I think that was one of the teams you didn't want to play in the first round, considering how gritty they've been in in the playoffs. But is there any team that you think could stop Tampa? Well, as much as I would like to say the Penguins, um, 
they're getting to that point where they seriously need to think about a rebuild. A lot of their great players are getting up there, you know, mid thirties in age. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's be honest, you know, as much as I like to, you know, root for my team and all that, Pittsburgh at their best isn't better than Tampa at their best. They're just, you know, way younger. Their players are really awesome. Um, you did mention Boston. I would agree with that. The only thing I'd say about Boston is Tampa has played in the past few years, and they've just not been able to match up with them at all. You know, Tampa's sometimes handled them way easier than, you know, I ever thought they would, and they still beat them. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, it's really tough. You know, I would, you know, maybe look out for a dark horse team like Carolina. They have a lot of players I really like. But other than that, I mean, you've got a lot of up-and-coming teams, but for teams, you know, that can match the pure dominance they have, maybe Boston. Um, but, you know, that's a big if, in my opinion. Right. And now we kind of dive into the future of the Montreal Canadiens, the team that Tampa Bay beat. Cole Caulfield, 20-year-old rookie, had an outstanding playoff, and he was really fun to watch. The youth on this team is pretty solid. What does the future hold for the Montreal Canadiens? What do you think? Do you think they could make a run at this again next year, or are they kind of level down a little bit? Well, I think the key is going to be what Don Ducharme is going to be able to do in the future because I, I think I did just see that he signed a three-year extension to remain with the team. Yep. I understand it. You know, they go to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time, you know, in 28 years. That makes sense. Now, I will say he has a lot to prove because he did have a below 500 regular season record with them. Um, if you combine their, you know, regulation overtime losses, they were below 500 team. They're going to have a lot of people saying, you know, that run was a fluke and they're going to come back down to earth and they're going to have to show it wasn't. They have a lot of young players. You know, you did mention Cole Caulfield, big fan of him. Nice American boy um, drafted, you know, 2019, I believe 15 overall. I think he had something like 12 or 11 points in this postseason in 20 something games. So he's shown he has potential to play in the playoffs. He obviously, you know, he has some development to do. He's not, you know, this bona fide top six forward or anything just yet, but he has a lot of potential. I'm also a really big fan of Nick Suzuki, who they got in that Max mm-hmm. Pacioretty trade. Big fan of him. Um, they have a nice future. I just want to see, you know, it's kind of hard to predict what they can do because, you know, you could argue they take a massive step back. Maybe this season was an outlier. But, I mean, they're going to want to build on this momentum, maybe potentially get some free agents in there, some trades, you know. try. They have to build on this momentum. Um because, you know, if you asked us, you know, two, three months ago, would you, what, what, would, what do you think the future of the Canadians would be? Most people would say they're going to suck. So, you know, they need to prove that they can continue this success. James, do you have anything to add on that? I think having – and by the way, that was our next point, Don Charm coming back, three-year deal today. So, James, anything you uh, have to say about that? Listen, Canadians, I mean, they ain't put much of a fight against Tampa, so – I, I I really can't say, you know, if they put up a bigger fight, you know, I said only winning one, if they, you know, won two or three, I'd be like, okay, there's a shot. I don't exactly know, considering they really, in my eyes, didn't put up a big fight. Yes, probably for Canadian fans and fans for NHL, it was great to see a different team. Um, but... I don't know. I think they come – they don't drop completely back to earth. They stay within that middle tier where they're on the cusp of coming back, but also a few wrong moves and a few games that are lost. They – you know, it, it's that weird area where they can excel, but also if they make a few mistakes, they can head in the opposite direction. So I think that's where they stand, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and the thing you have to consider, if they're going to be in that Atlantic division, once again, they are going to have teams in their division like Ottawa and Detroit, Buffalo, who, let's be honest, you know, no disrespect to these franchises, um, but they're just absolutely terrible right now. They're going through terrible rebuilds. Um, you know, we'll see what the Buffalo Sabres do, potentially get an Owen power in the draft. Um, but they're going to have an opportunity now. I mean, let's just be honest, Tampa and Boston, they're going to run away with that division. Um, but Montreal, you know, they could sneak in, do something. Now, I will say, and, you, you know, you brought it up there, James, um, they did go to the finals, but if we're talking, you know, just strictly objective, you know, looking at the teams that they face, were they really, you know, better on paper than any of the teams they faced? Or w- was that just an incredible run they got hot? Because I don't think they're better than Vegas. I don't think they were better than Toronto. Um, Toronto blew that series. I mean, they're up three, not, yeah. three to three to one, let's be honest. They just completely choked that series away. Um and it's the Winnipeg Jets. I don't think they're better than the Jets either. It's they somehow swept them. Um, they've got a lot to prove because, okay, they went to the finals, but were they better than any of the teams they faced? I wouldn't say so. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and, and they faced face Vegas and if they didn't leave flurry in there, you know, Vegas should have been able to beat them in my eyes, oh, you know, Vegas, so, Vegas, I got I to be honest, Vegas fucked that up. They took Flurry yeah. out. Um, now, okay, if you want to take him out for a game, that's fine. I mean, I think he, I think it was stupid because he won the Vezina and all that. He made one major mistake, and they took him out. Um, but if you want to put Laner in, that's fine. But then they took Laner out again after one game and put Flurry back in. Um, absolutely terrible coaching. Yeah. Uh, they, they threw that series away. You don't get the chemistry with the, your, the lines in front of you, and especially in Stanley Cup playoff time. And in playoffs in general, you don't want to mess up with the chemistry if a line's rocking with the goalie or whatnot. You know, same thing in football, same thing in baseball. If you if you're if it's rocking, you're sticking with it. You're not you're not playing the game, which unfortunately Vegas was playing a game of. Well, I'll try him this day. Like it was picking a deck of cards. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. One last thing, I I do want to mention that Winnipeg series, um, because they apps they were incredible that series. They swept them. I will say the Winnipeg was without their best player in Mark Shifley. Now I don't disagree with the suspension; he deserved it. It was absolutely charging. Um, but you have to think, you know, would that series have been different if Mark Shifley was there? There's just a lot of question marks when you look at this team, and I'm not going to discredit what they did. I, you know, I picked against them the entire playoffs. I gave them respect. I said Tampa and six in the finals, probably more respect than most people gave them. Let's be honest. Um, they got to show it wasn't a fluke, though, and they're going to have a lot of questions. Um, I'm excited to see what they do because, like you mentioned, they do have some nice young players. You know, great Cinderella story this season. Um, but, you know, in, at the end, they didn't win anything. And when you're a team as, you know, with a, such a great history as Montreal, they want to be back at the top. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I definitely agree. It's going to be interesting to see what the future holds for Montreal. Uh, they definitely have a shot. Uh, Tom Scavetta, James Montefusco here with Noah Dibler, co-host of the Sweet Tea Show on the Sports Box. Noah, we're going to transition into our next segment now, which I know you probably caught some of it uh, on Saturday night. Garth was very opinionated about this, by the way. The Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight, um, which I stayed up late to watch. And it was a very interesting fight, both Guys came into the fight very, you know, animated. They were charged up and to see the fight end in the first round due to a doctor stoppage after McGregor freakishly broke his left fibula and tibia was very, very disappointing. He broke it while stepping backwards, gruesome injury, and he's going to spend the next six weeks on crutches. 
Uh, before we kind of dive into the fight, what do you think of that injury? How tough was that to just um, see whether you saw it live or on social media? I mean, it was just disgusting. I will say I did not watch this fight live. I mean, I'm not buying a pay-per-view to, for a sport that, you know, I don't really watch that often. I did watch the highlights, and I mean, you know, what can you say? It's just absolutely gruesome. Kind of remind me a bit of when Dak, you know, his ankle injury, it's just perpendicular to the rest of his leg. Just absolutely horrific to see. Uh, look, I know he's got a lot of haters and all that, and I understand why. You know, it's a big personality. He talks a lot of crap. Um, yeah. I personally like him. Um, but, the, you know, I mean, that, that injury is just absolutely horrific. And, you know, even though even if you don't like him, I hope, you you know, you at least have the common decency to wish him all the best when it comes to something like that. Because let's be honest, you know, whether you like McGregor or hate him or, you know, you're a Dustin Poirier fan, no one on this planet wanted that fight to end that way. They wanted it to keep going as long as it possibly could. Um, now, I will say I think Poirier was just absolutely dominated him, especially on the ground. I mean, he was just having his way pretty much. So I don't know how much longer it would have gone. I know when they fought back in January, it was a round two technical knockout um, mm-hmm. for Poirier. So, you know, but that's the thing, guys. You know, we'll never know what happened. And I think it's just a real shame that the fight ended that way. Just absolutely horrific. Yeah, I want James to chime in. But before, I'm just going to give my take. Uh, I disagree. I, I don't think McGregor – I mean, look, I, I thought it should have been a no contest, to be honest with you. I did not agree with the decision to end it on a doctor's stoppage and to give Poirier the win. I think McGregor is the – in his prime, McGregor was better, in my opinion. Uh, McGregor's definitely taken a step back over the past couple of years. Um, I thought he definitely was on the receiving end in the first round, but he had the headlock in. He just couldn't. He was trapped in that corner against the cage there, and Poirier did a good job positioning himself to kind of trap McGregor, and then he did get a few good punches in towards the end of the round. I don't necessarily think that would have been the case if McGregor was able to regroup. I do think McGregor would have won the fight. I really do. Um, James, what do you have to say on that? Well, for somebody that, like Noah, didn't watch the game match, excuse me, um, I got home from work around, what, midnight? Mm-hmm. And I just look on social media and I'm like, what happened to McGregor's leg? or foot. And then I'm reading through like yeah. going on sports, the social media and whatnot. And I'm like, Oh, um, I mean, I, I think it should have been ruled a no contest to be honest, since it was a doctor stoppage. It wasn't like one of them. I, I don't know the fighting world too much. It's not like one of them threw another one outside the rink, you know, whatever, but it was a doctor stoppage where it should have been counted as a no contest only because if the doc, since the doctor stopped it, in my eyes, it was for the health and safety of McGregor. It's not like it was, you know, a broken toe. This was, you could clearly see the breakage. It, it you know, probably for some people, it was gruesome to watch. So I, it should have been a no contest. Does McGregor and Poirier get another rematch? I believe so. The no contest is really tough for me because from past instances of what I've seen from no contest, it's usually when a guy, you know, wins and he's found out broken some rule or something and they say, okay, we can't uphold this result. So it's going to be like it never happened with the no contest. Um, I can't, I think it was Nate Diaz who one time he had a doctor stop it as well, just because his face was just absolutely, you know, open and bleeding mm-hmm. and all that. He complained that didn't go on, but they gave, um, 
They gave him the L for that one. It, it's really tough to say. I think Poirier was a deserving winner because, like I said, now I will say McGregor's stand-up, perfectly good. I think he was, you know, he was, he was getting some good significant strikes in from what I saw. Um, but when Poirier got that takedown, he had about three minutes of control. I don't think there was any contest there. So in my opinion, you know, you can disagree, Tom, that's fine. But I think Poirier would have won the fight. Um, I don't – it's just terrible it ended that way. I don't know if I'd agree yeah. with the no contest. Um, I think Poirier was a deserving winner. Um, that said – you know, you did bring up that point. Who do I think is better in their prime? These guys did face each other about seven years ago, 2014, and McGregor did win. So I would say, you know, probably in their primes, McGregor is better. Um, but I think McGregor has, you know, fallen off a bit. And, you know, we'll see if he does another Brett Favre and retires for about three months and then comes back. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's tough. You know, we're going to see what he can do with that rehab. He, he's always been a fighter. You know, whether you like him or not, he's come. he came from, you know, a really poor background. And he had to work for everything he got. So I have no doubt he can come back from this if he wants. The question is, is he going to look at and, you know, see all he's accomplished, see all the money he's made and think, okay, got nothing left to prove. Let's walk away. Yeah, and you bring up a lot of good points. I do agree with you that Poirier definitely won the first round. He definitely won the first round. Um, It's hard because McGregor barked at him on the ground. This is not over. I mean, with Poirier now leading the series two to one, uh, should there be another fight, you know, because normally you'd say that was the rubber match, right? And with just the way that it ended, because, you know, where I was coming from with the no contest was McGregor regained his composure. He regained, yeah, he was a little bloody too, but the accident occurred once he regained himself and he just stepped back the wrong way. Uh, could that have been caused from Poirier taking control and McGregor being a little bit antsy on his feet? Absolutely. But um, I don't think Poirier caused that injury at all. That was all McGregor stepping back and, you know, just not feeling himself there. But, I mean, the last question I'm going to ask on this is, should there be another fight? Um, I think it's up to Connor. I mean, it's going to take about six to eight weeks for him to, you know, start rehabbing and, you know, starting the training, get ready again if he was to fight Dustin Poirier. If there is another fight, I don't think it should happen for a little bit. What do you guys think? It's really tough because I can't think of many instances where, you know, two guys have fought four times. You know, they fought in January, and now they fought again in July in quick succession. Um, should there be another fight? You know, I think, you know, a lot of fans would want that. The key thing, in my opinion, for that is Dana White was not happy with this fight ended, how this fight ended. And if he wants another fight and, you know, the fighters agree to it, I don't see any reason it would. Now, like you mentioned, is Connor up for it? Is he going to walk away? And, you know, Dustin might look at it and say, okay, you know, you can say I didn't deserve this fight, but the fact is I have two wins against him in a single year. And the last time we fought, you know, I got a knockout in round two, so it's not like it went to decision or anything like that. Why would I want to fight this guy again? Um, it's really tough. I think, you know, like he, like I said, is Dana White was not happy with how that fight ended. And if he wants another fight, I don't see any reason why there wouldn't be one. James, anything you want to add on that? No, I completely agree. I think there will be some talks about with another fight. I don't know how soon it will be, only because, like Tom was saying, it's six to eight weeks with his foot. You got to retrain. We could see another fight in a year, let's say. Um, But I think if we do, I think that would probably be the last fight with both of them. At best, yeah. At best, Uh yeah. Or like maybe an expedition match. Be like, this ain't for the this isn't for the real thing. Let's do an expedition match. 
just for the fans, just for, you know, say McGregor's one last hurrah, like, like as a joking kind of thing, like, you know, you beat me because I broke my foot, but let, let's do something more as obviously it'll be huge, but for them it'll be more of McGregor's kind of last closing point door. Right. Yeah, and another one last point on McGregor. Um, he is three and three in his last six fights. He's lost three of the last four. Um, so he might look at that as well and say, you know, I've just had a bad string of results. Do I really need this anymore? Um, yeah. You know, I, I've had this horrific injury, been knocked out a few times. Um, you know, it's it's about his desire. And I, I don't get me wrong. I think he loves the sport. I think that's why you know he's such a troll and all that. I think he likes to build up the product um, to get the pay per views up and all that. You know. He's a character, man. You know, I know a lot of people hate him. I personally love him because, you know, like I guess earlier with Nikita Kucherov, I just love these, you know, trolls and all that who, they're, they're personalities, you know. So often I think fans complain that we don't have personalities, that, you know, everyone's like this Peyton Manning or Eli Manning who, you know, they're just by the book. They say all this, the right stuff all the time. Right. And then when they get a guy that actually does stuff that, you know, that's out of line or, or out of line and, you know, that's, you know, it has character. They complain about that as well. It's, it's just really strange. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I like him. I'm rooting for him. You know, you never want to see an injury like that. Yeah. We wish the best for Conor McGregor. And now moving on, Noah, obviously, when we, whenever we have guests on, you know, we're big football gurus. We love football. Big buffs on that. You're a big Atlanta Falcons fan. And James and I are both Giants fans. So we want to ask you a few questions on your Atlanta Falcons and what they've done this offseason so far because they're in a very interesting spot. They have number four overall pick in the NFL draft, and I think they're a team that, you know, they've had a lot of things happen this offseason. You know, we'll get into Julio Jones leaving. But I guess our first question to you is what was your favorite move that they made this offseason? You know, it, it's really tough because I actually did like a lot of the moves they made. Um, I'm probably going to surprise you guys a little bit. I'm not going to pick Kyle Pitts. I think, you know, he'd probably be the obvious choice you're expecting. I'm going to go Richie Grant, their second-round safety from out of UCF. The reason I say that is because they let pretty much all their safeties go in the offseason. You know, Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen, and DeMonte Casey all left. Especially Keanu Neal, he was key to our defense because he's kind of our hybrid safety linebacker. He comes up in the box, does all that. Um they let everybody go. I don't really disagree with it. I understand, you know, the team it was absolutely terrible last year. They've underachieved um, for a few years. Keanu especially, you know, he's had ACL, eight Achilles injuries that have made him miss basically two straight seasons. Um, I understand why they did it. They did sign Eric Harris from the Raiders, I believe it was, and Deron Harmon, the longtime Patriot. Um, but, you know, these are stopgap guys. They needed a, a new safety in there. They got Richie Grant out of UCF, who was a three times American Conference first teamer. So, you know, okay, you can say, you know, maybe a worse conference, but to do it three times in a row is still pretty impressive. Um, and from what I've done, I've done some scouting on them. Now, I don't watch the American Conference that much, no disrespect to them. I'm more of a, you know, a Power Five guy. I watch all those games. Um, but from what I've heard, he's a very well balanced all around safety. He's able to come up in the box, which is key for me. He can kind of fit that Keanu Nia role that we're missing. Um, and I've seen, you know, he has some holes in coverage, but I mean, that can be coached. I think, um, we did bring Dean Pease in as DC, who obviously has, you know, a long-term run of on those Titans and Ravens defenses with success. Um, and it, it's going to be a very versatile defense. I know I saw a quote a few months ago from him 
someone asked him if he was going to run a four three or a three four, and his response was yes. So you know that's the kind of versatility I want to see. But I really like that move um, to shore up the safety position. They got AJ Terrell last year to kind of shore up the cornerbacks as well. They really need to build the safety. They need to build the entire defense. It still needs work. I really like a lot of the players they drafted. I think, you know, they got Kyle Pitts at four, who was BPA at that point. And then they just drafted team need after team need. Um, but if I had to choose one, they desperately needed a safety. So I'm going to go with Richie Grant. Yeah, I mean, my favorite move was probably Jalen Mayfield. I thought it was a good value pick oh, for yeah. them um, out of Michigan. I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I despise Michigan passion. <laughs> Uh, but that was a really good pick to be a little different. We do know a UCF fan, by the way, um, who was big on guys like Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson. That secondary was great this past year. Falcons have one of the worst defenses in the NFL, so they really needed to improve there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the other side of the ball. You have a quarterback like Matt Ryan, who's been there under center since 2008. He's been in the league for a while. He's kind of that next group of quarterbacks after the Brady's, the Roethlisberger's go. He's part of that next group that, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's been with the team for a long time. How long does Matty Ice have left? You know, this is something I've been thinking. Now, I just want to say – you know, Matt Ryan has a lot of critics, especially in our fan base. I'm the biggest Matt Ryan fan you'll find. So I think, you know, if I say, you know, he has two or three years left, that's about as long as you're probably going to get from anybody. But uh, it's really tough. He does have three years left on that extension. I do want to point this out. He's not going anywhere. Definitely not this year. I, I don't think he'll go in 2022. That said, I did pull up the numbers. Um, if they do trade him after June 1st, 2022, they would save $23 million in cap for 2022, $15 million dead cap for 2023. So, you know, maybe if they wanted to trade him after the season, they could. I don't think they will, in my opinion. Um, it's really tough. I could see him either getting traded during his final year because then, you know, the dead cap is like nothing. Like, it's literally nothing. Um, I don't think he's going to get in our contract. And that's really tough for me to say. I know you mentioned Julio Jones. I thought he was going to retire here. Obviously, he's not going to. I thought Matt Ryan was going to retire here. I don't know if he's going to get in our contract. I think he's a very good quarterback. I don't know if he's, you know, that MVP caliber guy anymore. But I think he gets way more, you know, crap from his fans than he deserves. I think he's still – there's still a good player in there. Now, I know his stats, you know, you look at him the last two years, okay, he's kind of stagnated. They're not the best. But the, the offense was terrible. I mean, the skills positions was great. But the offensive line was atrocious. They let him get sacked nine times a game once. I mean, he gets sacked consistently 40, you know, easily around 40 times a year. Running game was atrocious. They had absolutely no balance on offense. Um, so I and the play call. I mean, don't even get me caught. You know, I thought Dirk Cutter was a great hire at the time. Uh, horrifically wrong. He was absolutely horrific. They have not had good play calling since Kyle Shanahan left. So you right. know, okay, that offense has some problems. It does have a lot of talent, um, but it has a lot of problems. And if they can get that sorted out, you know, maybe they can block a little better. Um, you know, we'll see what Archer Smith does coming in with the play calling. I think he can still have a really good season. Um, you know, like I said, I don't think that MVP player is there anymore. He's 36, and, you, you know, you have to account. Not only is that a bad age, or it's, it's high up there, but um, because of how many hits he's taken over his career, I honestly think his football age is probably closer to 38 or 39 than 36. Right. Um, you know, he's just taken so much punishment over the years. And I got to give him credit. The guy is an absolute Iron Man. He's missed one game, I believe, since 2009. Mm-hmm. He's, ava- he's available, and he plays well. 
Um, but I don't think the guy gets anywhere near enough respect. And then when he finally has a few down years, people act like he's absolute trash. Um, I still think he's a very good player. Sure, do I think, you know, he probably needs pretty much everything around him to go well now because of his age? Yeah. Um, but, you know, if they get everything sorted out, I see no reason this guy can't, you know, put up something like 4,500 yards and 30 touchdowns. Um, his skills positions are pretty loaded. Um, they just get the other stuff sorted out. Um, but, you know, as for long-term future, which is what you were asking, um, he, I think he's definitely the starter of the next two years. I think they're probably going to draft a quarterback in 2022. Um, I honestly thought they might do it this year. They did not. They did um, get Felipe Franks as a UDFA, but that was it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really sad to say he's my favorite player of all time, but I don't think he's going to finish his career here. I think once his contract runs up, if he doesn't get traded before that, he's going to go somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, James, what are your thoughts on Matt Ryan? Obviously, you know, we've played against him for years now. He's been a staple. He's been a guy who's always been available for the Falcons. He's not a guy who's been hurt all that much throughout his career. And, you know, he's just, you know, class act. So what are your thoughts on Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan, um, if he was probably on a different team, he would probably have a ring or so or two mm-hmm. um, in, in a way. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, you, you, you pretty much listed off his line. His front line isn't the best defense. We What was that one year where the whole defensive line was all young guns and they were pretty much tearing up anybody they – in the division and whoever they played. And then all of a sudden just fell off the next year. So, you know, we all thought, Oh, this is the, the, the that's the defense that's going to carry them. Defense wins championships. Matt Ryan finally has a defense. He has a few good guys. And then he just falls off the play calling. I, I, I sometimes I'm confused about seeing highlights and watching, you know, when bouncing from games to games, seeing some of the play call, like Julio Jones is wide open. Nope. Let me just, pass it to the other side of the feet you know like some of that stuff i don't know if it's matt ryan's decision i don't know if it's the coaching staff um obviously that's more internal but when he leaves atlanta it's gonna the fans are gonna be up you know they're gonna be saying like any he's been your quarterback for so long tom can contest when eli retired from the giants you know same thing um but Matt Ryan's a stand-up guy from what I can tell. He's all about team. He seems all about family. So wherever the next year leads him really is all whatever this year. I don't know if it's a prove-it year for him for the front office for him, but I think whatever happens this year kind of sets the tone up for the next few years for him. One thing I will say, you know, this guy, the amount of hate I see this guy get from his own supposed fans, I mean, they actually like Michael Vick better than him who completed 56% of his passes over his career. Um, they actually think he's a better player than him. I think it's ridiculous. Fantastic talent, but as a you know quarterback, his passing wasn't up to snuff. We've got a guy that has pretty much legitimately every record for a quarterback's first 10 seasons ever. You know He surpassed guys like Peyton Manning and Drew Brees to get these records. I'm not saying he's better than those players at all, but this is a guy who has just consistently produced for year after year on a lot of teams that, like I mentioned, let's be honest, have not been that good. Um, you brought up the defenses and the offensive lines. I've seen this guy, I'd say in the last 10 years, he's had about one or two above average defenses. He's never had an elite defense. Most of the time they've been below average to just straight trash. Offensive line, 
you know, the Super Bowl one I think was pretty good. But the thing with it, it wasn't like they had, you know, these incredible all pros. They just didn't have any injuries at all the entire season. Um, But, you know, most of the time the offensive lines have been terrible as well. We have not had a, you know, consistent running game for years. I mean, you know, they had a few years where Freeman and Coleman were doing well. But that, you know, that one true running back that can get you 250 carries a season produced, they haven't had that since Michael Turner left, and that was back in 2012. So they're still trying to replace that. As a Falcons fan, it's just really frustrating. You know, okay, I get it. You're not going to be good some years. But the fact that problems are just consistent year after year, and, you know, they try to fix it. They have drafted a lot of linemen in the past few years. I'll give them credit for that. These guys, you need to step up, man, because some of these guys are getting into their second, third years after getting drafted. Um, you know, Matt Ryan's still getting killed back there. You know, put some pride on the line for your quarterback. I mean, he's taken this his entire career. He's taken a lot of crap that, in my opinion, you mentioned Eli Manning, another guy I think got way more crap than he deserved his past few, last few years there um, because the teams were absolutely garbage. Um, but Matt Ryan, I mean, he's just never going to be able to please some people in the fan base. Some people even blame him for the Super Bowl where he only threw six incompletions the entire game had a 144 quarterback rating. He set basically every record for a quarterback that lost a Super Bowl. Um, no one points out the fact the Patriots had 93 plays to the Atlanta's 46. Um, no one points out the fact they should have been running the ball when they were, they were passing and he got sacked on a fumble where Devontae Freeman completely missed the block. And they don't point out the fact the defense couldn't make a stop to save their life. Um, right. it's, all, it's all, it's all his fault. You know, that's how it's always been. And I, you know, I think it's bullshit, but, um, Look, I'm always going to defend him. I don't think he's, you know, that incredible all 2016 Matt Ryan. He's unstoppable MVP winner. Um, 2018, you know, 35 touchdown passes on a team that was crap. I don't think he's that guy anymore, but I think he can still produce. We have a comment from Steve. What's up, Steve? How's it going? Thanks for the comment. Um, has a question. Too much hype with Kyle Pitts going fourth tight end in fantasy right after Kittle. What do we define as hype? Because we've seen a lot of people say that Kyle Pitts was the best player in the draft other than Trevor Lawrence. Um, He's the highest drafted tight end ever. You know, I mean, considering all the tight ends we have in the league, like you mentioned, George Kittle there, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, he got drafted higher than any of those. Is that hype or is he just really that talented of a player? Um, Because I've seen a lot of people, not just Florida fans, a lot of people say he's one of the best tight ends they've seen drafted in years. Um, And, you know, it's not like Atlanta reached for that pick. He was the best player available at number four, pretty consensus wise. You know, it wasn't just, you know, oh, it was a massive reach or whatever. I don't know why they picked him there. A lot of people argued, you know, he could maybe even go even higher if a team really wanted him that badly. Um, so I don't know if he's overhyped. I do think, you know, if people say, oh, he's going to get a thousand yards, 12 touchdowns. I don't think he's going to do that. Um, I think Arthur Smith, from what I've seen from when he was in Tennessee, he loves the two tight end sets. So I think he's going to, you know, be on a lot of two tight end sets with Hayden Hurst. Um, that's another thing. A lot of people forget Hayden Hurst. They traded a second round pick for him. They're not just going to dump that guy after they draft a guy at number four. He's still going to have a role. Um, right. But I think, you know, he, he's going to have, I, you know, my expectation is probably something like 700 yards, seven, 800 yards, maybe six, seven touchdowns. He's not going to have this remarkable all pro pro bowl year, but I think he's going to be solid. And, you know, we need a guy like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely concerned about him week three when the Giants host the Falcons. But uh, obviously it's great to see, you know, you're getting skilled players for Matt Ryan and getting offensive line help. One skilled player that he did lose in the offseason was Julio Jones. Um, so Pitts is in, but Jones is out. 
Obviously, Jones is another player you probably thought would have retired a Falcon. Um, I, I do think Matt Ryan will. I'm with you on the Matt Ryan thing. I felt the same way about Eli Manning about three or four years ago when people started bringing it up. It's going to happen. Fortunately, it's part of the quarterback cycle. I, I mean, I never thought the guy would retire. I mean, in the back of my head, I knew that day was coming. Uh, I didn't want it to come, but it did. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Trading Julio Jones away to the Tennessee Titans. Do you like the return from that trade? Um, I know you already talked about the excitement for Pitts, but I guess we'll focus more on Julio now. It's really tough. I understand why they did it. Um, he had a massive contract. He he was injured most of the last season, and he is upwards of, I believe he's 32 now. Don't quote me on that. Um, yeah. So I do understand why they did it. Um, they saved roughly almost $15 million in cap for this year, and that's something I think a lot of people didn't mention. Thomas Dimitrov, our last GM, absolutely horrific in cap management. We have been red on the cap um, for God knows how long. I can't even remember how it is. I'm looking at the cap right now. They're, they have about $9 million left. And you say, okay, that's not a lot. They have been negative for so long that the fact that you know they have that much cap space is remarkable. Um, look, I know a lot of people are going to say we got fleeced or whatever because we didn't get a first-rounder. They said they wanted to trade him for a first-rounder, and no one gave him the offer. I mean, what do you want him to do, play Madden and you know, pretend it's – Pretends a video game and make whatever trade they want. They got probably the most they were going to get. The guy didn't want to be here. Um, you know, he wanted to be traded. He said, well, I think it was undisputed where he was on the phone call with Shannon Sharp. He said, I'm out of here. So everyone knew, you know, he wanted to be gone. Um, I compared this trade to the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Do I think this trade was as bad as that trade? Not even close. So, yeah, if you want to say the Titans won this trade, okay, fine. Um, we still got a second and a fourth back um, for a player. And, our skills positions is still perfectly fine. Calvin Ridley was our number one most of last season when Julio Jones was out. He could, you know, he, I looked at his stats for those games, 100 yards, 150 yards, 160 yards. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a number one, man. I genuinely believe he, is, he wasn't a number two last year. He was a number one beside another number one until he got hurt. So I'm not worried about our receiving core. Our skills positions is our biggest strength easily. It always has been for years. Um you know, if you want to complain about their turn, okay. I mean, you know, we gave up a six-rounder as well, you know, big whoop, whatever. Um, we saved $50 million in cap. That's the most important thing. Right. Now, you ask me, do I like it? Of course I don't like it. You know, he's one of my favorite players of all time. Um, when I saw he got traded, I'm not even joking, I actually cried. And I never thought I'd do that. But this is a guy I watched, you know, pretty much my entire life. I started watching sports the same year as his rookie season. This is a guy I had a great emotional attachment to, one of my favorite players of all time. So, you know, when when I saw his trade, I was devastated. But I understand why they did it. I'm not upset at all at the, you know, the return they got. Um, I wish them all the best. And I will say this about Julio Jones. If he can stay healthy, I think a lot of people are counting him out. If he's still healthy, he's easily a top five wide receiver in the league. No question in my mind about that. He still is. I remember the day he entered the league. Um, outstanding talent. James, anything you want to add on Julio Jones? I know I had him in fantasy last year. A little bit of a disappointment for me, but, you know, that was part of the Falcons. James. He's in, I enjoy watching him no matter who he's matched up with. So I'm looking forward to what he brings his new team. Um, it's unfortunate. I thought the same thing, Noah. He was going to retire with Atlanta. But, you know, it, it comes down to money and everything else in the world. And us three all know that. So, but you know what? Good luck with his new journey on his team, on um, his new team. Tom, 
you know, uh, you can drop him this year and not keep him. Maybe a few others in the league want to snatch him up. But, yeah, I wish him a lot of luck. It should be interesting with the Atlanta Falcons and stuff this off, this uh, coming season. Well, I, just want, I just want to say what's crazy is that he went to Arthur Smith's old team. He was the yep. offensive coordinator in Tennessee. So that is kind of crazy. Arthur Smith coming over from the Titans and then Julio heading from Atlanta to the Titans. And I think that's a fact in the trade a lot of people don't mention. I'm sure, you know, Arthur Smith still has a really good relationship with the guys over there. You know, they probably had no problem at all working out that deal. But, you know, I'm with you, James. I have no ill will towards Julio at all. I genuinely hope if the Falcons don't win the Super Bowl, and let's be honest, they're not going to, I hope he wins the Super Bowl because that mm-hmm. is a man who deserved it. He made one of the greatest catches I have literally ever seen in the Super Bowl. The fact he did not win that game and that catch isn't as remembered as much as it should, absolutely, I feel for him really badly. He is a player that if he retires out of the Super Bowl, it's going to be an absolute travesty. Um, you know, okay, people will say a lot about the the touchdowns. He doesn't score enough. You know, once I think that's bullshit. We're not going to get into that. Between the 20s, he's statistically the best receiver ever, and it's not even close. He's number one in receiving yards per game with, I think, something like 95.1. I think the next closest guy is in the 70s. So it's not, like I said, it's not even, you know, close. Um, but, yeah, I, I wish him all the best. I hope, you know, he, he gets 1,500 yards this season, scores, you know, 15 touchdowns to shut the idiots up, uh, you know, wins the Super Bowl, first team all pro, all that. Um, you know, if that makes people say we lost a trade, okay, I really couldn't care less. I'm still rooting for him, you know, big time. Um, one final thing I will say, you know, obviously the Titans are getting a talented player. This is a guy who has battled through injury after injury repeatedly. How many times I've seen this guy go into a game, commentators say, yeah, you know, he, he's got some, you know, something in his leg or, you know, his foot is, you know, basically broken. He's still playing and all that. He does that. He did that so much. Um, he just battles through everything. He's an absolute class act. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of one moment in the 10 years he was there where I was like, Get this guy out, man. You know, he's a cancer and all that. I hate having him on the team. You know, you know, sure, maybe I wasn't the happiest with him when he held out that one time, but I understood it. Maybe I wasn't happy with him when, you know, he said I want out on that undisputed thing, but I understood it. Um, but the guy's a class act. I hope he does well. I really do. Absolutely. We wish him the best, and we'll see what the future holds for the Atlanta Falcons this upcoming season. Hopefully it is a good season for Atlanta. But, Noah, before we let you go, is there anything you wanted to add? And if you can plug your podcast again for us, that would be great. Yes, yeah, so Sweet Tea on the Sports Box, uh, Fridays at 9 with my host, Garth Michael Patrick. Real shame he couldn't be on here, by the way. Um, to whoever that coworker was that made him miss that show, I just want to say, you know, I hope Dan Quinn coaches your defense because that's what you deserve in your life. Um, that's that's another thing, man. Dallas, I hope you enjoy that guy because he is he is really not a good coach. Um, great guy, good, not a good coach, but yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, hopefully, I can be on again when you guys come back, and uh, maybe you guys could make an appearance on Sweet Tea as well. I wouldn't mind that at all when we start to do our football talk. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll be disappointed when we get the NFC East when I predict the Giants to go three and fourteen. But um, you know, that's just how it is. All right. Well, um, <laughs> that, that that was a hot, fiery note, and then yeah. I'm definitely dropping my jaw a little hey, bit no, there. No, no, I'm I'm just kidding. I actually do like the Giants. I just just had to throw that in there. But no, um, yeah, I mean, it, thanks for having me. It was this was an absolute blast. Yeah, no problem. Anytime you want to come back on, really do appreciate you, uh, you joining us here tonight. We'd be happy to have you again. James. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
See you, Noah. See. That was Noah Dibler from the Sports Box. Make sure to go check him out Fridays at 9 on the Sweet Tea Show. Big Falcons fan, big Georgia football fan, Pittsburgh Penguins guy. A lot of good stuff here tonight. Woo-wee, 3-14, and 14, comment from Steve. Uh, the Giants will not be winning three games this season. That is um, more likely to be the Eagles' record. Uh, that's probably their floor, Steve. Um, I think – I don't. I don't think it will be that bad, but it could be that bad because I'm yeah. not high on Jalen Hurts at all. I do have him 32nd out of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL at, at the moment, and that is not, you know, my Giants fan bias to me. I just I don't think he's a legit starting NFL quarterback. I think he's a serviceable backup, but for the Eagles' sake, I think it's better you get a high draft pick next year. Um, you know, you play to win all your games, but yeah. it'll be very interesting to see what happens in Philadelphia. They do have potential to win a few games, but I do think, you know, they could potentially win as few as three. I, I definitely think the Giants are contenders to win the NFC East this year. It's going to be between them, Washington, and Dallas. You know, the big thing is there's been no repeat champions since um, – the late uh, there w- was no repeat champion in the 2010s, James. Uh, no, it was the the Philadelphia it, Eagles did win it back to back at one point. Um, I believe it was 09, 10, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, there's so to say Washington's going to win it. That is a very fair argument. However, that no repeat winner thing, and then to me, it's. The two weaknesses on the Giants and the Cowboys, the Giants offense and the Cowboys defense. What got better in the offseason? Not the Cowboys defense. They drafted mm-hmm. a bunch of they drafted a bunch of rookies and the Giants went out. They got Kenny Galladay. They got Kyle Rudolph. Yes, they lost Kevin Zeitler. Saquon Barkley is coming back from a torn ACL. Um, I'm not expecting him to put up a thousand yards on the season, but his presence nah. is going to be there. That's yeah. huge for Daniel Jones and the continuity on the offensive line returning a lot of the same guys from last year outside of Zeitler. So um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And Noah in the comments section, uh, Eagles defense is good. They could win six or seven and the division is terrible. So they could, they could do more. I think the Eagles could win as many as eight to nine games, but as few as three. Um, Great show, fellas. Thank you, Noah. Really do appreciate that. Cowboys. Have a clown at defensive coordinator, Giants by a landslide. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Health is huge for G men to make yeah. some noise. Yeah, that see, that's that's the thing. Um, if the Giants aren't healthy, they could win less than seven games, right? We won six games last year. This is a 17 game season. We could win less than seven games if the health isn't there, if Daniel Jones does not make strides in year three. But I won't get too far into that. Um, I want to get into our New York Mets. You know, we're big Mets fans, James. Yes, we are. I believe the All-Star game is currently in progress. Um, I don't know if there's a score to that yet. I checked about five uh, minutes ago. There was no score. Um, according to this, they're they're warming up. Um, they're still warming up. And the game was supposed to start, I believe, at 730. Interesting. Pete Alonzo talk when we'll be bringing up Pete in just a few moments. We just want to, I just want to talk about um, my experience this weekend at the doubleheader um, Pittsburgh pirates saw Marcus Stroman. One of the, uh, he's the most overrated pitcher in the Mets rotation. He is so hot and cold day and night. I don't like him. 
personally. I know a lot of Met fans like him. I don't. When he's on, he's on. But when he's off, he's off, and you won't win the baseball game. They, the, the, the Mets win a lot of games because of Stroman, but they also lose a lot of games because of Stroman James. I know it's very frustrating to watch. Tyler yeah. McGill came in game two and was a million times better. Yeah. I mean, we're just, you know, sometimes you think about it. We brushed Stroman over because he was supposed to be the number two, number three guy. Mm-hmm. Looking at him now, he's number four, number five guy, depending on if he's hot or cold. And there's no in-between, Tom, like you were saying. There's no lukewarm like some of the pitchers have. It's you're blazing or you're not. And that's that's might be one of the downfalls come later this season because some games might come down to when Stroman's pitching either the rubber match or we have where I believe we're the most we're the team that has the most rainouts in the whole league or national league. So we gotta look at this. We got a lot of double headers coming. And if we can at least take one of the two, it's gonna hurt us. Especially if it's one of the, and it's only seven innings. So yeah. I mean you, you should be able to take seven innings. Honestly, the he should be able to go all seven innings. It was the longest seven-inning doubleheader that I sat through. It was great to be back in City Field, by the way. Yeah. That, that environment is outstanding. I got my free DeGrom replica jersey. There we go. Um, which I'm not wearing tonight. I should have wore that. But, um, yeah, Tyler McGill, who shares my birthday, exact birthday, day, month, and year. Um, the Mets have won all of McGill's first four MLB starts, but he has yet to record a win. He only went three and two-third innings on Saturday, but he did have seven strikeouts. So he was on a roll. And then the heartbreaking six to five loss Sunday against Pittsburgh. Uh, Mets led five to two. Mm-hmm. And when Diaz blows the save in a game that was started by Aaron Loop, it was supposed to be started by Jacob DeGrom, but he's been taking some extra rest. Makes sense. Um, but I was disappointed in that game. James, before I get your thoughts on that in the first half of the season, I'm just going to get into a couple of comments. Yeah, go ahead. If you lose your team a game against the Pirates, you should be DFA'd the next day. Yeah, I wouldn't go as far as DFA Marcus Stroman. I know he's kidding by that comment, by the yeah. way, as far as not in general, but as far as Stroman goes. Um, yeah, he's, he has been very inconsistent throughout most of his career. But what were your thoughts on him in that game and your overall first-half thoughts for the Mets? First-half thoughts, they surprised me after the first month because we all know usually the first month of baseball, the Mets are smoking. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 like, jump off the Verrazano Bridge or something to, like, the river where they they, they, keep, they, they drown themselves. Like, yeah, it's a bad analogy, guys, but I'm sorry. Some, that it's happened. Like you've looked at, so to keep them this hot is phenomenal. The Grom's been scaring me a little bit, but he's been missing that, that, you know, the injury bug. So, which is huge. Um, then some of the other guys have an injury bug. It, this team isn't a bad team, especially with the guys we're putting on the field. Like some of them early on in the season, I was like, where's McNeil? Where's, yeah, Conforto. Why isn't Alonzo out there? You know, JD Davis. Davis is not like, who are these guys? And then mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, our main guys are on the aisle, but the guys that stepped up and filled the gaps 
were good placeholders. They they right. won us games. And I don't think enough credit goes to Rojas. I understand why not. But from what he's produced this season, he looks pretty smart. Now, I don't know if that's coming up above where Sandy's like, Rojas, this is how you have to do it because he's come from the Terry Collins. Like, Terry Collins knew the correct buttons to push. He knew what was going on. I don't know if some of that mentality has been trickling down. I hope so. Um, I've been. It's been nice to see them when I'm able to catch games. Nice to see them win. Nice to see them still in first place heading into the All-Star game. All-Star break, I should say, actually. Um, we have mm-hmm. a tough road ahead of us. It's been it's been hard seeing the games getting delayed. Steve Cohen is hilarious on Twitter. Um, you know, I think one of his tweets was like, guys, do you think we'll play tonight? You know, um, so he he's also a great atmosphere for the Mets organization, for the fans, to see that interaction with the fans. We didn't get that much with the Wilpons. We didn't get many things from the Wilpons. I'm glad we passed on Bauer. That's, that's made us look very smart right now. Um, for the, the pitching rotation, we're not going to see Thor back into late August, September. Again, that depends on where we are. You know, are we making the? Do they just shut them down for the year? If I think they should, unless we're making, unless we're doing, fun, we're flying high. Um, right. Diaz, I, I, Tom, I've been saying this since before COVID happened. When we we're in the studio, and I'm not going to say live on air. Me, you, and Kyle know exactly. Russo know exactly what I'm saying is he he's been looking good, and then he's again falling off a cliff and just. Yeah can't produce so it's been but i I saw the blown save on a highlight and i'm like you serious like i was i never wanted him to begin with well yeah i don't think a lot of i mean i didn't want him either so i'm happy where they sit right now i'm actually happy with oh what's what's his name that's in the all-star game for us for a picture i forget one walker Tylon walker he's looked phenomenal Mm -hmm. in my opinion he's looked good um, especially making the all-star. I think he's going to be great coming into the second half. This team, I'm concerned about the second half because we got a lot of double headers to play, but also the way everything's been working for us. I say we we ride that wave until something's not working. Don't fix ain't broke. So, Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Noah asks, should he even be in the rotation? Mets pitchers are stacked when Carrasco comes back. Well, DeGrom, Carrasco, Stroman, um, Peterson, and McGill. That would be the five, unless I'm missing five. something there. Um, mm. I, I feel – oh, Ty, Taiwan Walker, yeah. That's DeGrom, six. Stroman, Walker, Carrasco, and then you're probably going to put Peterson over McGill only yeah. because Peterson's a lefty. Mm-hmm. Um and I think McGill is kind of a bridge right now until Carrasco comes back. However, if McGill continues to pitch like this, I know he does have options, but um, I don't know if you want to send him down. You may want to keep him in the bullpen as a long relief guy, as yeah. a you know a better version of Corey Oswalt, for that matter. Uh, Mets are lucky. Acuna towards ACL. They'd be 10 games back by August otherwise. <laughs> That's a very optimistic uh, comment from a Braves fan there. Um, yeah, I. so normally I'm a very pessimistic Mets fan. And James, you know this since yes. you've known me in 2015. Yep. Um, this year, no. 
I can't agree with that comment only because the Mets have proved me a little wrong as far as the consistency they've been able to develop with this team. Uh, J.D. Davis is not even back yet. I mean, they maintained first place with a bunch of minor league players. And it just goes to show you how good Rojas has been as a manager. I mean, I still think he's a bridge. I don't think Rojas will be here long term. Um, But he's doing a good job. He's given the Mets no reason to consider firing him this offseason, regardless of what happens. I think Rojas is here to stay as long as the Mets make the playoffs. Um, Which, by the way, J.D. Davis is expected to return shortly after the All-Star break. He's only played 14 games this season. So, again, another reinforcement on the way, James and Noah, with another comment. This is the most legit team they've had since 2015. They've had a lot of great starts and fallen off. Don't see that with this team. Yeah, this is not 2008 either. 2008 was rough. Um, Mm -hmm. The meltdown, we were seven games ahead with 17 games to go, and then Philadelphia came back to win the division. That was a tough year. Yeah. That was a very, very tough year. Also, in 2015, we we had to trade to get pieces. We already have some pieces. So, right, and we have VR. Yeah, who, who's been outstanding? He's been outstanding. Kevin Pilar, VR Pilar, um, have both been outstanding. Um, I think Nito's a solid, rock solid backup catcher. We yes. traded to get Billy McKinney when everybody was hurt for depth purposes. McKinney's going to stay on this roster, and then Jose Peraza has been one of the most clutch players on the team um, in pinch hit situations. He's been outstanding. So you probably keep him over Guillaume. You send Guillaume down when J.D. Davis comes back, and you keep Peraza. Mm -hmm. But now the question is, there's been rumors about the Mets getting Chris Bryant. I don't see that happening, only because Zach Scott came out and said the Mets are not giving up any top prospects. Um, Eduardo Escobar, Adam Frazier, I know these names have been thrown around. I don't think the Mets are going after a star everyday starter. I think the Mets are going after a depth piece like a Josh Donaldson or – some pitching help. I think Josh Donaldson is probably the most realistic name, James, for the Mets to get only because you want a lot of depth because of yeah. the injuries that the team has gone through this season. Yeah. You want somebody that, that can balance the team out. I mean, we, I also saw weeks ago, Estrubal Cabrera might've been in that mix, but I haven't heard anything since. I mean, he's been on the team before. He's a, you know, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that he he knows the, he knows the or some well now it's a new organization but he knows the Mets mm-hmm. he still has some guys that he played with way back when I wouldn't mind that as a leadership especially you know and to give some of the younger guys off I think it would be smart but whoever they pick up isn't going to be an all star name like a Chris Bryant because. Right. Right now, we it's not in 2015 where we needed a Yanis Cespedes to come in and pretty much put this team on this back and right. take us all the way. We have the pieces. We just need to add a few key depth pieces in either direction, and we'll be fine. The Kelly Johnson acquisition in 2015 was a lot more important than the Yoannis Cespedes one, in my opinion, because yes. of what he was able to do in late-game situations. I still don't think – we make the World Series without Kelly Johnson. Yes, we no, don't I, make it without Cespedes either, but Kelly Johnson was a lot more important down the stretch than Cespedes. Kelly Johnson was somebody that he did more of the dirty work, in a sense, yeah. while Johannes 
two guys on base, he just blasts one out of the park. You know, he had more of the fame and glory. White Kelly Johnson was the one that did the nitty gritty work to get the guys on base to move the runners around in a sense. And um, he could start at every position in the infield. Exactly. So you had that um, multi-talented guy. But let's, James, let's get to my favorite Mets topic of discussion for the evening, and that is they selected pitcher Kumar Rocker, 10th overall out of Vanderbilt. Rocker was projected to go somewhere in the top seven to eight picks. Mm-hmm. He's 21 years old, 6'5", 245. The Mets got a steal. What did you think of this pick? I know Kyle Russo texted in our review and preview group chat. I had no idea who this guy was. I did research on him. I watched some videos of him at Vanderbilt. This guy's good. He's very good. Yeah. I, when Kyle says, oh, congratulations, guys. I'm like, what are you congratulating us? Are you being like, are you being a real pain in the ass like you always are sometimes to us, my fans? It's a joke. Well, I'm only joking if, Kyle, you're watching it. It's all jokes with us. But I'm like, are you really being that guy right now until we did some research? I mean, I'm looking forward to what he has. Um, I'm trying to remember if he, if he's a lefty or righty. He's a righty. He's a righty. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know why I even thought somebody was a lefty. The lefties are pretty much non-existent sometimes. But – Listen, he, he has a nasty slider. Yeah, his slider is un, untouchable. So when he gets up to the big leagues, that that's going to help him. You know, it's yeah. like uh, Ari Dickey with his knuckleball. If his slider's nasty, it's going to it's going to be fun to watch him. He's going. I would imagine he's going to be pretty. He's not going to be as good as Degrom, but to master a slider. While as you see now, some guys can't even throw a curveball without the sticky stuff. You know, to master that is just a talent in my eyes, and I think he'll excel. Noah saying, yeah, Mets got number six ranked MLB prospect at number 10. Royals took a pitcher ahead of him ranked number 39. Yeah. Um, shout out to the Mets for getting a real gem at number 10, yeah. and he was the most outstanding player of the 2019 College World Series. You mentioned his devastating slider, and he was the first pitcher taken in the first round by the Mets since – David Peterson in 2017 and Peterson is now part of our starting rotation. Yep. So it's probably going to take rocker a year or two before he gets a, cr- a crack at the Which big leagues, considering who we still have in our rotation with mm-hmm. Carrasco and potentially Syndergaard coming back. And with Carrasco and Syndergaard back, you're now looking at a rotation of the Grom Syndergaard Carrasco Stroman and Taiwan Walker and now David Peterson's not even a part of that. He becomes the number six starter. Number six starter, yeah. You know, so that's the way I view it. Noah says, I'd rather the Mets win a World Series than the Phillies win a singular game. Every, everyone feels this way about Philly. Regardless, I mean, because Brian Atar's Dallas Cowboys fan, right? Yeah. Noah's an Atlanta fan. You see it all around the country. Everybody just hates Philadelphia. <laughs> And we all know why. I mean, I'm not going to mention it, but Philly is the most hated sports town. I don't know, probably throughout the whole country, yes, but definitely on the East Coast. On the East Coast, yeah. I mean, it's only a 90-mile drive down the New Jersey Turnpike. So You're in there, what, three hours, depending on what point in New York you're coming from. You and I can literally get there at, like, 
11 o'clock tonight if we left right now. All right, I'll pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> other notes about Rocker, he was 14-4 and four this season with a 2.73 ERA. He was tied for the most strikeouts in the country with 179. And speaking of Philly, his father is a former Philadelphia Eagles defensive lineman, Tracy Rocker, fun fact. Um, and Rocker today reached an agreement to a $6 million signing bonus. Nice. So congratulations on that. The Mets had $9 million in signing bonus and signing bonuses to give out, and Rocker gets six of that. So That's this huge. is a big deal. It's a big yeah. deal. Yeah, six million dollars. I mean, as a as a signing bonus, that's yeah. That, that tells you the team and the franchise, um, you, you're their top dog in the next few years. Mets drafted a lot of pitchers, but I won't get really too far into the draft. Yeah. I'll save that for Thursday when Hank is live with hitting for the cycle with Rob Murphy. But um, Pete Alonso wins back to back home run derbies. Yes, uh, he did a repeat. See what I did there. I did. Um, I like it. Pete Alonso outslugged Orioles Trey Mancini in the final round to become the third back-to-back winner. Um, he was given the trophy by Ken Griffey Jr., one of the other two, to do that. I believe Griffey did it three times in a row. Um, but, yeah, Trey Mancini had an awesome story, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of health issues last year. Yeah. But Alonso beat him in the final round. He beat Juan Soto in the semis, and then he beat – Royals catcher Salvador Perez, Perez in the first round with ease. Perez didn't even come close. Soto, he crushed too. Soto really struggled in the second round. The outfielder, yeah. young outfielder for the Nets. But, yeah, he dominated Listen, the whole night, James. Pete, Pete's a machine, especially when it gets in his sweet spot. He can just tee off in a sense. Um, you know, he says he's the best slugger in the game or, you know, in the league. Well. We'll we'll see about that because, you know, Tom, me, you, and all pretty much MLB fans know sometimes the home run derby gets your timing off um, when when you come back. That's one thing. Um, I get he's excited and he wants to have fun, and I'm all for that. I just wish he handled the post-derby interview slightly more professional. And Pete is a a pro. He's a good guy. But I didn't like his choice of wording, saying he's the best slugger. You want to come off in a little more humble tone. At least that's me. That might not be everybody. No, Um, You may want to come out and promote yourself as the best slugger in the game, which he proved that he is, um, is. according to the home run derby. I think the closest thing to him is either um, Vlad Guerrero Jr. or, I mean, Mike Trout. Yeah. You know, I mean – it Shohei Otani, maybe, but maybe we, we didn't get to see that because he was eliminated by Soto. And Noah says, think Soto was gassed after beating Shohei like Vlad in 2019. Yeah, that's very true yeah. as well. Um, Mets are a rival. You don't want them to win, but you respect them. Philly is like that rash on your balls that won't stop itching. Um, that's why you get manscaped. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um which, by the way, I do feel the same way about Atlanta in regards to that comment. Um, respect them as a team. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like it if they won a World Series, but I'd rather them win it than the Phillies. Uh, I, don't, they, I, don't, I don't want the Phillies to touch the playoffs. 
if it, if, it, if Atlanta makes the playoffs, it's like, oh, okay, you know, like I'm not going to root for them, but yeah, job well, job well done. You deserve it. He's a, um, he's not the best slugger right now, but a 53 home run season shows he can be. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's the best slugger in the major leagues. That's why I had a problem with that comment. I mean, he is nowhere close to the most home runs in the league this season and he's barely hitting over 250 so for him to come out and say that is why i said what i said just a few yeah. moments ago i didn't think that was that smart but to each their own and congratulations to pete alonzo 35 yes. homers in that first round he had a 514 foot home run and look this guy doesn't make a lot of money he makes like what over six hundred thousand a year this is only yeah. his second full MLB season because last year was a shortened 60 game season. So yes, technically it's his third year, but man, oh man, this guy's really good. He made more in the home run derby last night than he did in the entire year. That's that's more than his salary. Yeah. Uh, Tom, you still the words right out of my mouth. He's made more in the home run derby in the last two years. Yeah. I think he made 6 million each year. I want to say. He's not making six million. You're maybe off incentives or whatnot. But no, no, no six million from the home run derby. Oh, he might have. Yeah, yeah. I think it was something along those lines. I forget the exact stats, but I'm like, geez, why don't you just play in the home run derby each year? You make more money than your contracts right now. Yeah, he's outstanding to watch. And the best part about that was majority of his home runs last night were hit in the deepest part of the ballpark. Yeah. Um. You know, nothing to do with him being the best slugger or whatnot, but, I mean, is this Pete's competition? Oh, absolutely. He's won it two years in a row. Two years in a row. No no one's been able to come close to touching him in this competition. Vlad Guerrero Jr. was the closest thing, which is why I mentioned him just a few moments ago. But um, if we get that exact amount of money, um, Trey Mancini gets $1 million. Trying to see what – Pete gets. If anybody watching knows the ultimate prize for Pete, feel free to comment that. But I believe you might be right with that number, James. Um, but yeah, he's only making like six hundred thousand a year. Yeah, for baseball, so he's going to be due for a contract soon because we did lose a year of control since we mm-hmm. brought him up in twenty nineteen. Yep. But um, yep, it's All Star Week, and the All Star Game is tonight. No Are they score. No, no score. No top of the second inning. Shohei Otani starting against Max Scherzer. So that'll be interesting to monitor, James. And then yes. um, anything else you want to add on the Mets before we move on? No, you know, keep let's ride this wave into the end of the season. Keep winning, you know. The ground. Yo, stay healthy. I didn't even know this. Yoannis also won back-to-back. Hopefully he doesn't fall off a cliff like him. Yeah, Did well, he- it was – it was before he came to the Mets. I'm pretty I was sure. going to say he won in the American League twice. Well, for the American, when they did it, National American League, he had the American League jersey on. I never paid much attention to Cespedes because I never, I never liked him. I knew he had a bad injury history, and we brought yeah. him in. And you know, it, it's just you're showing these young kids. You're interviewing these young kids. Yeah, by the way, this guy hasn't played all year, and he's making more than you ever will. You know, um, and yes, it was when he was with Oakland. Okay, thank yeah. you for that, Noah. But, yeah, that's interesting. Um, but enough on the Mets. Just going to move on to some other sports news before we go, which, by the way, actually um, don't mean to backtrack, but Mets tickets will be 80% off 
until July, up to 80% off until July 17th on select games, Monday through Thursday. So, mm -hmm. James, you and I might have to hop on that. We, we might, I might need to, uh, we might need to cut out of work early one day to go see a Met game. Yep. Yep. So it's Griffey, Alonzo, and Ioannis Cespedes, only three players to win back to back. But um, other news in soccer in the 2020 Euros, Italy defeats England in penalty kicks three to two. This is the first time Italy's won the Euros since 1968. And if you're from the New York, New Jersey area um, and you haven't lived here for very long, you found out on Sunday evening how Italian it is up here in the Northeast, yep. um, especially if you're a Giants player. Afadio Denibo tweeted out, found out that half of New York and New Jersey is Italian. I mean, I don't know about you, but there were fireworks by me all night. Um, it was insane. There were parades with the Italian flags and a bunch oh, of cars yeah. and whatnot. It was, it was, I think Glenn Cole was like that. It was insane to see. I think on one of the, somewhere a video surfaced some, you know, the rainbow cookies. Yes. Um, there was some, there's a true MVP. I'm sorry. I'm a big, I'm, I'm Italian. So I love the rainbow cookies. I love canola, you know, all that stuff. So he was walking around with at least um, three layers of the rainbow cookies and just handing them out. I mean, man, it was huge to see. Um, obviously like I, I was down last night, um, a little bit at Bocce and, you know, it's, it's an Italian sport. So we had Italian guys talking about it. There were some England fans, whatnot down there. And it was, you know, a lot of them were saying, well, why'd they pull this guy? Why was this, you know, we should have lost, we should have won. So it was a lot of pulling back and forth, but it's all comes down to, you know, the, the last few plays, the penalty kicks and whatnot, you know, you pull somebody like Rashford that hasn't played all game, but you put him in to penalty kick. It's like, he's barely warm. So, yeah, I don't know. I got to talk to uh, my boy, Nick Tonks. Um, he, he knows a lot about this game. He was able to watch it. Um, so I got, I got to, I got to talk to him and dive deeper into his reaction. I'm sure it won't be as happy as I'm sounding right now, but he knows a lot more about the game and will explain stuff deeper. Kazadich, James. Mm -hmm. Kazadich. Um, which, by the way, um, you guys are you guys might be doing a recording on that on on, yep. on the uh, the YouTube channel. So yeah. make sure to check that out, James and Nick Tonks. Yeah, you're gonna try to do it for the next uh, record in the next two days. So hopefully, be up by later this week. If not, sometime over the weekend. Uh, sound sounds good. So that'll be yeah. awesome and. Um, I also um, – it, it's been an awesome week. Uh, Noah says, pathetic choke by England. Three straight missed penalties. Yep, that's yeah. what James was alluding to, the subs at the end there. Um, he says, Nolan Arenado just got a massive ovation from the Colorado crowd. Love to see it. That's great for him. That's He's great. a former Rocky. Yep. But, James, I don't know about you. I got my tickets to Giants Fan Fest, and I'm looking forward to it. I also got my tickets to week one against the Denver Broncos, which will – fall on the same weekend as the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. So yes. they'll probably be doing something for the first responders, all those who lost their lives on that day in honor. And Jim Fossil, former Giants head coach, was a huge part of that. Um, so they may do something for Jim Fossil as well, who passed away last month. So it's going to be an emotional week one against the Denver Broncos, who, by the way, the Giants played the Broncos 
right before 9-11 on Monday Night Football. The night before it happened, they played the Denver Broncos. How crazy is that? That's that's great. I don't know if that was coincidence. I think um, the NFL set it up this way. Yeah. Um, but man, that 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 actually I did not know. Um yeah. so but yeah, I Tom, that should be amazing. I'm trying to hopefully get to that uh fan fest with you for the Giants, but I, I gotta I gotta figure things out. Um but yeah, that that should be interesting. Definitely let obviously we won't have a show um around that time, but you know. Let us know. Let it, let let all the viewers know how you liked it and whatnot. Send pictures because, yeah, I'll be putting uh, some videos up on the Big Blue Avenue YouTube channel. So, cool. um, but yeah, that should be a lot of fun. No, as a question, thoughts on Daniel Jones? Was a big fan of him his rookie year. Wasn't as impressed last year. Well, I think you weren't as impressed last year because of the new offensive scheme that he had to learn. Um, having a new head coach um, dealing with the pandemic and a lot of rookies on that offensive line, three of them, two were playing injured. One of the two veterans caught COVID. He lost Saquon Barkley in week two and had terrible depth at the wide receiver position where he missed Sterling Shepard from weeks two to seven. Um, A lot of stuff that goes untalked about. And, you know, when Daniel Jones threw the ball deep last year, he had the highest deep ball accuracy in the National Football League. Fun fact. Um, yeah. If Daniel Jones takes more shots downfield, we saw that when Garrett was out with COVID and Freddie Kitchens took over the offense, they were more of a vertical deep passing threat. And that's why yes. they went out to sign Kenny Galladay. And statistically wise, yes, Daniel Jones did not improve last year, but you take away the touchdown passes the lack of touchdown passes from week eight onward, Daniel Jones was a really good above average quarterback in the NFL. Those last few weeks, he secured the ball. And when he took shots downfield, he cashed it. You just didn't see it as often because the offense wasn't designed for him to throw the ball that much. Yeah. And I mean, and the offense was designed for Saquon Barkley last year. The offense was also – I mean, you also have to look at who his receivers were at the time. His main guy was Evan Ingram, and Kai Russo can back me up on this. Um, he dropped a lot of the passes that should have been caught. So, right. you know, you can't – Daniel Jones is is going to have key pieces. He's working with new players this year, but also he's having a full off season. It's not half – it's probably not going to be half virtual, half this, half that, half whatever. Um, he will be working with everybody face-to-face instead of a scheme book like Tom and myself are doing right now, talking and trying to figure out a playbook. You're in the locker room with other guys. I follow the Giants 24-7, so I I am constantly watching videos from last season about this team and Daniel Jones, watching a lot of YouTube content creators uh, like Fireside Giants, Talking Giants, The Entertainer, bad dog you know all these guys are putting out videos and they're all daniel jones believers because they're 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 constantly studying the film it's not all about touchdown passes and passing yards in 2002 kerry collins was one of the top five passers in the league yardage wise and only threw 19 touchdowns right stats usually tell most of the story but you have to look a little bit deeper past the stats and that's something that the average fan sometimes has trouble wrapping their head around why aren't the numbers there? I don't want this guy if he's not putting up the numbers that I want to see on paper. But is your quarterback winning you games? 
And in his last six starts, Daniel Jones went four and two. Cut his turnovers down substantially. So that's a very promising sign. But to be fair and to be very um, transparent, he must improve. Yes. Big time in year three. Uh, just a couple more notes before we end the show. Yankees picked Eastern Illinois shortstop Trey Sweeney in the MLB draft 20th overall. That's the second shortstop they've taken over the past three years. Giannis Antetokounmpo continues to dominate scoring-wise in the NBA Finals, posting back-to-back 40-plus point games. Uh, Paul Lombardi in the 3 and D just ended this past week. Um, he'll be putting out an NBA Finals recap video once the series is over. And then our last topic of discussion for the night, former Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker Anthony Ciccolo announces his retirement from the NFL after six seasons. He was a 2015 sixth-round draft pick who spent five of his six seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He spent Mm -hmm. last year with the Denver Broncos. Ciccolo, over the course of his career, was mainly a special teams contributor, had 108 tackles, eight and a half sacks, though. Three of his sacks came in 2017. Uh, 2017 was a great year for him. Uh, Two of them came in week one against the Browns. And, James, he said goodbye, thanking the Saints, Broncos, and Steelers, his three teams, along with his Alma mater, the University of Miami, and an Instagram post with his family holding up a sign, Chicolo's Italian Army. So another gold chain wearing style. Yep. That that's great. He get he paid tribute to every team he impacted in some way, shape, or form. Uh you know, looking forward to what he has to hold. Let's see if he uh does something either with any of those teams. You know, he impacted three different teams in a college, so I'm sure he'll will make an impact somewhere else like that. Absolutely. Uh, happy retirement to Anthony Ciccolo. And, folks, before we sign off for the night, I just wanted to thank everybody for the comments. We want to thank Noah for hopping on with us for the first hour of the show tonight, giving us some of his time. Really appreciate all of the engagement we've had over the por- uh, over the course of the past year here on Review and Preview yeah. Sports. We've branched out from one show to four, um, actually five if we include Big Blue Avenue. Um, yep. three and D hitting for the cycle, the North pole. We're looking forward to bringing potentially all of those shows back in the fall. So that should be a lot of fun and we're going to continue to grow. And for those of you who don't know, we will be taking a break for the rest of the summer. We will return the week of August 31st. So make sure to stay tuned for our return, which will be a lot of fun. We will, talk mostly football. When we come back, we'll preview the NFC. We'll preview the AFC, give our postseason mm-hmm. predictions, get into the meat and potatoes of that. But James, before we sign off, any final thoughts? No, it was great to come back, even though I only came back for the last two weeks after a four-month hiatus. Um, great stuff we did this past year. We really grew this brand, which is phenomenal. Me and you were talking about that years past when we were in a studio before COVID, and now look where it's brought us, which is great. Um, great all the interactions we've had with many different brands, with many different people we interviewed over the last year. Um, I know it wasn't easy for anybody, um, including us two talking to you today. So, you know, take a little break. We'll be on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's where a lot of our, my Tom's and Kyle's content will be updated, uploaded. Um, so check that out. But I'm looking forward to what the next year holds for us. I'm looking forward to coming back August 31st, refreshed, rejuvenated. Um, looking forward for a lot of new changes and seasons coming at us. So, 
Yeah, folks, and we'll be updating our YouTube, chan uh, YouTube channel frequently over the course of our break, so stay tuned for some content on there. We'll put it up on our Facebook page uh, and share it into a bunch of our Facebook groups, so be yeah. on the lookout for that. But until then, hope you all have an awesome summer. Enjoy the rest of the MLB All-Star game that's happening tonight. Enjoy the NBA Finals. Enjoy NFL training camp in the preseason. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. And until then, James, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, everybody, for watching tonight. On behalf of James Montefusco, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long, everybody. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Enjoy the rest of your summer, folks.